How we doing, Eastside? Huh? Come on now, come on. Great to see you. Thanks for being here today. We're thrilled that you're in the house of God. And for the very last time, well, I'll tell you what, I hope it isn't the last time. I hope we need this again for another reason. But overflow people, you are awesome people. So thank you for worshiping. Now, I'll tell you what, those of you in the main room, that was pathetic, okay? Let's try that again. Overflow, you guys are awesome. That's much better, much better. Thank you for worshiping over there, and we look forward to next week when we open it up, and they're back here with us. And online community, man, every week, uh, we get to see more and more people all over the place that are tuning in, and we get to hear from you. So we feel an affinity to you guys, and we're just glad that you're checking us out and seeing how God can speak to you in a new way as we go online. And so that's just been a cool thing. So tell us where you're coming from. Uh, get on your, uh, your device and pop in where you're from. We love to see the different places that God is taking us here at Eastside. Well, I'll tell you what, if you took all of my incompetencies, and I have a lot of them, and you listed them down, near the top would be betting on racehorses. And some of y'all going, a preacher bets on racehorses? No, I don't. But if I did, I'd be really bad at it, okay? I'm a duck out of water when we get to the first weekend of May around these parts. I'm just, I, I'm just, that's just not my world. And when I've tried to play with it a little bit, it just never, ever works out. So I'm going to do an experiment this weekend and I want y'all to know about it, okay? And so I'm gonna let you know my experiment is. And uh, here's what I'm gonna do. I looked at the, the list of the horses racing for the Derby uh, this Saturday, and I chose three of them to bet on, listen, based on their name alone. Now, for those of you who are upset that I said I'm gonna bet on a horse, and you're thinking, I can't believe that I'm going to the Baptist church next week. So I, I want you to know, it's just imaginary. I'm not going to do it, okay? But if I were, I'm going to pick three horses. I'm going to put $2 on each one of them. Six bucks, what am I going to have, okay? And I'm going I'm to base it only on the name of the horse. So I looked at the names, and here they are. One of them is sainthood. I mean, I gotta pick that one, don't I, huh? So sainthood, gonna get $2. Rock your world, I love that name, okay? And Hot Rod Charlie, I just think that's cool, okay? So I'm gonna throw two bucks on each one of those horses, imaginarily, I don't know if that's a word or not, but you get the point, and we'll see, uh, we'll see how it's gonna, gonna turn out. Now, why would I do that? Well, I started studying for this, this lesson that we're doing this weekend, and I realized something. I can't believe that I'd never seen this in the text of Scripture. But I realized for the first time that the fourth horse of the apocalypse, the one we're going to talk about today, is the only one that is given a name. I'd never seen that. So, so 
On this weekend, we're kind of wrapping up this series that has kind of gripped, I think, a lot of us. And it kind of fits under this idea. And if you've been with us, you know, okay, that the book of Revelation is about this battle, this, this tension, this conflict, good and evil. And we all are in it. All of us are in it. And, 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 and that battle is kind of described for us in the book of Revelation in three different storylines. And one of those storylines is a scroll that has seven seals on it, and you pull a seal off at a time. And every time you pull it off, you can see how this battle of good and evil is gonna work throughout human history. The Bible's gonna say, here's how it's gonna happen. And in particular, here's how it's gonna end. And so man, you're digging into the scroll, you're peeling the seals off. And what we find out is the very first four of them, they all are the strategy of Satan. They are the playbook of the enemy to mess with us. And so we open them up and they all are horses of different colors. And so y'all been with me, y'all know that. And so for the first three weeks when we studied this, we went through the first three horses These are Satan's attempts to mess with you. And so we looked at the three. You've seen this. Look at it real quick. First horse was white. He will deceive us. We will be confused about what is right and wrong. The next horse is red. He will divide us. We will be in tension with each other. The black horse is the third one. Disaster will be brought into our life, sometimes cataclysmic and sometimes personal. I want to tell you something that struck me in this series. I didn't expect this. We started putting this together actually last August, and we've been kind of ramping it up in the last few weeks and, and, and putting it all together, and what I didn't expect is how much it would move people. I mean, it's kind of the buzz of, of people. I'm having conversations with people during the week, and I say, how you doing, man? Well, the red horse showed up in my house last night. And people are, are talking in terms of the horses, and we're learning, and this is a great thing, we're learning to identify the strategy of the enemy. And I want you to catch this. The more we know about his strategy, the more we're gonna whoop him. Isn't that right? We're gonna learn that. So today, we wrap it up, okay? This weekend, we look at the last seal, the last horse, and it's given a name. The first three didn't get a name. The last one gets a name. Technically, the rider gets a name. And here's it is. It's a pale horse, and his name is Death. Let's read it from Revelation 6. When I saw the lamb open the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked. And there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death. And Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beast of the earth. Can I say this 
as clearly as I know how to say it. Satan wants you dead. Me too. And so we break into this fourth horse that is given a name and we begin to find out some things that prepare us for the battle of our lives. Now, besides this horse receiving a name, there's another unique thing that happens with this horse that doesn't happen with the other horses. And we could really kind of skip this and just get into the, the pale horse, but I, I wanna show you this other unique thing that I think is fascinating for us to hear. You will have noticed when we read it that the text said that one-fourth of the earth will be affected by this horse. That the pale horse will have impact on one-fourth of the population of the earth. Now, if you were with us in our virtual study in Revelation that we've been doing on Tuesday nights, which by the way, if you aren't, you ought to be, okay? And so you would have known by now that when we read through the book of Revelation, we have to be very careful about approaching anything in a literal terminology. Because if you look at it that way, what that says then is that the pale horse will only impact one-fourth of the population of the earth, which means three-fourths of us, we don't have to worry about the pale horse. That's if you look at it literally. That's why that's not the right way to look at it. What we do is we understand that the book talks in symbols, that the book uses images to create what it's trying to teach us. And so when we look at one-fourth of the earth, really what we're being told is it will affect a lot of people. That's all that means. But the reason that I want you to hear that is because, again, if you've been with us in our study, you know that the conflict of good and evil in the book of Revelation is told to us in three storylines. The seals on a scroll is the first storyline. A couple chapters later in chapter eight, we then get into the second storyline, which is the sounding of trumpets. Now, if you live uh, 25 more years and you're still with us when we finally get to chapter eight in our virtual study, okay, it'll take about that long, we'll dive into it then. But what I wanna show you is that in chapter six, when we're dealing with the first four seals, we find that the strategy of Satan affects one-fourth of the earth. Then we move to the trumpets two chapters later, and now we find, listen carefully, that the first four trumpets that are sounded are the strategies of God. And so seals belong to the enemy, trumpets belong to God. And the seals come out and say that Satan will impact one-fourth of the earth. Don't think of it in literal terms. A lot of people, a fourth of the earth. Watch, we jump into the seals. I'm gonna tantalize you with it a little bit now. Now God shows up. And now we're not talking a fourth. Now we're talking a third. Notice the very first trumpet that is sounded. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. Go to the second trumpet. 
A third of the sea turned to blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. Go to the third trumpet. A great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. A third of the waters turned bitter. Go to the fourth trumpet. A third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon was struck. A third of the stars so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light and also a third of the night. And so what in the world is all that about? The seals belonging to the enemy has the impact on one-fourth of the earth. God shows up in the conflict of good and evil, and God has power over a third. What's that mean? Some people think it means this, and it's not a bad interpretation. God is always more powerful than the enemy. Always. And so some people look at it that way. That's not a bad interpretation. I tend not to think that's what it means. There are some other reasons of things that come up in the book that tend to cause me to have a different viewpoint of it. But either view is probably acceptable. I believe what we're seeing in this an example of a fourth to a third. I believe what we're being told that is echoed again in many different places in the book itself is that the conflict of good and evil, listen carefully to this, will continue to intensify throughout history. That the conflict between that which is right and that which is wrong, the conflict between the force of Satan and the force of God, the conflict between right and wrong in our own life, that is never going to calm down. It's never going to get better. And although that is a heavy message, it's one that I want to make sure that you hear. That sometimes we see things going on in our world, we see stuff going on in our life, and we just kind of flippantly say, well, you know, it's going to get better, things will get better. Here's what Revelation says. No, they won't. No, they won't. They won't until the King of Kings and the Lamb of Lambs, here's the call of the Father to return to the earth. But until then, Evil and good will conflict and tension higher and greater and more and more. That means that it is even more relevant that you and I pay attention to the horses. Every day of our life, they become more relevant. And so today we dive in to the fourth the horse that is pale, ashen, light green, is literally the color. And I want to tell you two things about the fourth horse. I'm going to put them up here, then I want to talk about them. I want to talk about what the pale horse will do. And then I want to talk to you about what the people of God should do. Now, when we start with this, what is the pale horse going to do? I kind of like the way John brings this up in the text. And I found this fascinating. In fact, this was kind of almost humorous to me. The first three horses, we kind of had to work on that. It wasn't really clear. You read about them and you go, what in the world is that? I think last week is one we read about the third horse and I asked, how many of you are going? 
what? And almost all of us, we get to the fourth horse, there's no confusion. It's like John says, I don't want anybody to misunderstand this. I don't want anybody to misinterpret this. And so I'm just gonna tell you straight out what the pale horse will do. And when you read it, it comes out that the pale horse will do two things to us. Number one, his goal is to bring about our physical death. That is his goal for you and I to experience that. That is his goal. And if you read it, he even says how we will die. Sword, famine, plague, wild beast. That sounds awful, doesn't it? I told you I don't like your dog next door. Famine, plague, wild beast, sword. Don't get all literal. He's just saying that Satan will use a variety of ways to bring physical death into our life. It caused me this week, I felt a bit morbid in my office. I studied through the top 10 causes of death in America right now. Eight of them are about illnesses. Eight of them are physical illnesses that we, we, we acquire into our life. One of them is accident and one of them is suicide. 80% of people die because of physical illnesses. And so by far, the number one strategy of the pale horse, catch this because some of you have him next to you right now. The number one strategy of the pale horse is to cause physical illness, to cause sickness that will eventually lead to our death. That is the pale horse. And there are those of us in this room right now who said, I'm dealing with the pale horse right now. Or I know somebody in my life who's dealing with the pale horse but don't walk out of here and think that's all the pale horse has to offer. That's not the only thing that he's going to do because the second intention of the pale horse is to bring about our spiritual death. And so we're told when we read the text that Hades is following close behind death. What in the world does that mean? Now, I don't want you to lose me here. I know, I, I, I know it, you might have had a lot of stuff going on this week, and so now you're trying to focus on this, and you got a thousand things going on, but try to come together, and, and I need you a few minutes just so that you understand Hades. In the Old Testament days, during the days of the Jews, of the Old Covenant, the culture, and even that, that, that understanding streaming a little bit into the New Testament times. But if you went back into those ancient days, they understood Hades as this place where everybody went after you died. And so you're living on earth and you just die and you go to Hades. Everybody goes there. And the motive behind that thinking during those days was to teach against an understanding called annihilism. And annihilism means, and some people still believe this today, that you live on this earth and when you die, you're just done, man. You just don't exist anymore. It's over. There's no you ever again. And so Hades became this concept that said, no, that's not true. That you may die on this earth, but you still exist 
somewhere. And that became known as Hades. In the Old Testament, they had a similar word uh, to the same thing. In the New Testament, they're called Hades. In the Old Testament, they're called Sheol. And so if you're ever reading your Bible and you see Sheol and Hades, they're kind of the same thing. They are the realm of the dead. But something happened in the understanding of Hades around the time of Jesus. In fact, Jesus even taught it in one of his stories about the, 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 the rich guy that died and, and, and the beggar that died. And the rich guy had nothing to do with God and the beggar lived for God and they died. And Jesus said the rich guy went to Hades where there was punishment and the, the beggar who lived for God went to Abraham's bosom in heaven. And what Jesus was suggesting that Hades is not the realm of the dead. It is the realm of the evil dead. That it's a place where evil people go who've lived on this earth outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, outside of a connection with God. And those people still live. They live in a place called Hades, a place of torment and punishment. And so the biblical concept of where ungodly people habitate I think it's really good that everybody kind of understands that and you're gonna see the power of the pale horse. I wanna put it up here so you see. This is where evil people live. First of all, they live on this earth while they're alive. You probably know some evil people. If they're sitting next to you, don't look at them. Just keep looking at me, okay? When they die, they go to Hades. They then, after the return of Jesus, go to a place called hell, which literally is called Gehenna. And so whenever you see the word hell in the New Testament, it is the Greek word Gehenna, which is an awful place. And these are the habitations of evil people who are not connected with God. Now watch this. This is the plan of the pale horse. This is the hope of the pale horse, is that he crashes onto the scene affecting all kinds of people on this earth, and his goal is to get you to physically die and ultimately spiritually die in Hades. That is the pale horse. Now, we all understand what it's about, so, have a great weekend. I'll see you next week. That would be a terrible place to stop, wouldn't it? Because you hear that and you go, man, that is heavy. And the plan of this series was not just to say, I want you to catch this, it was not just to say, here's the strategy of our enemy. That wasn't my ultimate hope. My ultimate hope would be that we know the strategy, and watch this, and here's what we're gonna do to fight it. And so you open up scripture, and you start to see that there are some things the Bible tells us to fight the pale horse. Now, my, my normal means of writing sermons and preaching sermons is I remember a professor I used to have told me that the mind can only, um, how do you say that? The mind can only receive 
what the rear end can endure while you're sitting. And so when I preach, I normally will kind of only take maybe one or two takeaways. Okay, let's do this and this, and let's, let's get out of here. And I got to thinking about this. And what does the Bible say about how to fight the pale horse? And what I found out is that there's all kinds of stuff. And in my right conscience, I just can't pick one or two of them. I can't do that. And so I want to tell you every place that I know of in the Bible that talks about fighting the pale horse. And all I can do is mention them because I don't have time to deal with them. And every one of them ought to be a, a series all by itself, I think. And I just want to show you two, show them to you. And guess what? There are seven of them. Somebody say, surprise, surprise. There are seven of these ways to attack. And this falls into the idea, this is what the pale horse will do. Well, here's what the people of God should do. So I'm going to give you seven. I hope you write them down if you don't. Um, get a hold of Aquila. He'll be glad to talk you through them all in middle of the night. He'll spend all the time you need on it. Number one, this is what you attack the pale horse. Accept the inevitable. What do you mean by that, Dave? Here it is. You will get sick and you will die. God looked at Adam and Eve and said this. You eat that thing, and you're going to die, and that is never going to change until Jesus returns and we get to heaven, and anybody who knows about Revelation 21, and it talks about heaven, it says there will be no more what? Death. But until then, it's going to happen. We tease here at Eastside, joke around a little bit, that the statistics on death are really impressive. One out of one, die. And you just gotta settle it in your spirit. You gotta settle it in your spirit. And I know we've all been on edge about that over the last year. And you don't have to like it, you don't have to agree with it, but you have to accept it. That it is normal to get sick. It is normal for people to die. And if you don't come to the point where you accept that, it will drive you insane. And so the place to begin is I know that the pale horse will do that to me. And as soon as you accept it, you accept any of it, watch this, you start punching the pale horse. Because you will not surprise me, pale horse. You will not surprise me. Let me give you number two. Commit to nutrition and exercise. Now some of you are going, what, did I just jump into a gym membership here or something? It is interesting to me that the Bible talks a lot about those two things. Spends a lot of time talking about that. Upholding it, encouraging it, saying you ought to do it. It warns this. I know we got a lot of health nuts in our church, and that's great. You guys are my inspiration. <laughs> I root you on. And the Bible talks a lot about that, but it says, now don't trust in that, okay? Don't trust that. You can be as healthy as you can be. You can eat everything right. You can work out more than anybody works out. But if you're not spiritually right with God, you are wasting your life. I know a lot of people like that. But the Bible says this is a way 
to attack the pale horse. So you start paying attention to eating right, exercising, working out, you're just punching the pale horse. I'm not getting sick as often as I used to be. Am I pale horse? The Bible really talks about that. Watch number three. Go to the doctor. You say, is that in the Bible? Yes, it's in the Bible. The Apostle Paul took all these trips, and we know about him because we study him here at Eastside once in a while, and he would take these trips, and he would start churches in all these cities, and before he took all these trips, he would build him a team, going, guys, you're going with me. You ever wonder why he took Timothy? He was a young kid. Why did he take Timothy? Because Paul knew, man, I got to hand the reins down to somebody. He's got to learn. That's a great lesson. At every points in your life, when you start getting up there in age, man, you got to have people down below you that you're training and teaching and modeling and mentoring. And he chose Timothy to be able to do that. You know who else he chose? He said, hey, Luke, would you go with me? Would you be on my team? What was Luke? Anybody know? He was a doctor. Why did he pick a doctor to go with him? Because he knew the pale horse might show up somewhere and we need a doctor to help us. The Bible talks on a number of different occasions about the utilization of medications and a using the knowledge and skill sets of certain people who can help us with our health. The Bible says it's important to see doctors. When I was about 35 years old, I went through a end-of-the-year evaluation with the elders of the church when I was serving when I was 35. And at the end, end, of the, end of the year of the evaluation, one of the things they asked me, I remember one of the elders looked at me and said, now who is your doctor? And I said, that's a weird question. Who's your doctor? I said, I don't have one. He goes, do you go to the doctor? I said, no, man, I don't go to the doctor. And he said this to me, he goes, you're 35 years old, Dave. And he said, the health insurance program that we give you and your family that we pay for will cost you $10 for an annual physical. And if you're not smart enough to invest $10 in your health, then you're not smart enough to be our preacher. And I started going to the doctor then. And now my doctor gets as much money as my grandkids all the time. The Bible says that's important. Now this is gonna give me trouble. I know there are exceptions to this, okay? That's gonna save me for anybody who gets mad at me. I know there are exceptions, but I wanna, I wanna say this blanket statement because I believe it. Avoiding medicine and avoiding doctors is not faith. It's crazy town. It's crazy town. So use doctors. Every time you do, you're looking at the pale horse and just punching him. Let me give you another number four. Get on your knees. We don't have time to find all the places in the Bible that talk about the importance of praying when you are sick. Pray when you're sick. And many of you know the story when Paul got sick. We don't know what happened to him. We think there are indications that on the, when the Apostle Paul was making these trips, he had Luke with him. We think he started developing some eyesight problems. And he wrote in one of his letters, he said, I have asked God three times to take that away. And that doesn't mean that he prayed three times and it was over with. What he was saying is, man, I am praying about this all the time. I'm praying about it all the time. And so my question to you is that when the pale horse shows up in your life, 
Are you praying? Are you really praying about it? And every time you pray against the pale horse work in your life, you're just punching a pale horse. He's coming at you and you're punching him every time. Number five, watch this. Ask others to get on their knees. Ask other people to get on their knees. The Bible says not only that you ought to pray about yourself, but the Bible says, watch this, that you ought to ask other people, dude, would you pray for me? In fact, the Bible tends to put the weight on that. It tends to say it is your responsibility to do that. Because if I hear you're sick and I pray for you, I believe there's a power in that. I believe God hears that. But watch this. But when you call me, or when you send me a text, when you let me know, Dave, would you pray for me? Man, God seems to put a power in that. I don't know if you're aware of this. There's a place in the Bible that says, when you're sick, call the elders of your church and ask them to pray for you. When the pale horse shows up, man, I'm calling my elders. A number of years ago, I started having a, a voice issue. I noticed that it came out about the same time every year. It was probably an allergy thing, I imagine. But every year, it just kept getting worse and worse, and it would last longer and longer. And so I, I started kind of losing my voice. My voice got really weak, and I had a hard time talking. And, and it happened for, I don't know, three, four, or five years in a row. And it would get, it would get to where it was, was happening for like maybe eight weeks long, which made it crazy hard for me to do my job. And so I, I just gathered some people. I, I went and got 20 people from our church. And I got them together and I said, I know you guys love the Lord. I'm gonna ask you to do something for me. And I told them what was happening with my throat. And I said, I don't wanna deal with this anymore. I'm gonna ask you 20 people, I want you to pray for total healing of my voice. And I want you to pray that every day this month. We chose a day that had 30, or a month that had 30 days in it. I want you to pray every single day. Now, if you're gonna miss a day, I don't want you on the team. I want 20 people who say, Dave, I will do that before I eat. I will pray for 20 days or for 30 days. And I want you to know that was the last year I ever had the problem. It never, ever has surfaced again. I might get a cough once in a while, I got one right now, but I've never had whatever that issue was. What happened? Well, I gathered people and said, we'd get on your knees and we were just, we were punching the pale horse. I hope as I'm going through these, you're keeping track. Because if you're thinking, okay, I got two out of five so far, the more you have, the more you're protected from the pale horse. If I'm going through these and you're saying, I don't know if I've done any of these, man, it's like you are vulnerable. Make sure that you practice these. Let me talk to you about number six. Rely on God's grace. Rely on God's grace. What do you mean by that, Dave? Well, remember when I talked about Paul praying for his eyesight? He said, man, I prayed three times. And if you know that story, what it ended up was, is God said, I'm not gonna heal it. And God told him no. Anybody here ever been in that place? Anybody here ever been in the shoes? Said, God, would you heal this? Or God, would you heal him or her? Anybody here pray your heart out for that? And God said, no, I'm, I'm the first one. Anybody? Anybody? And so what does that mean? What do you do about that? Well, Paul said, 
God made something known to me, and this is the one of the seven that I want to show you a verse. Paul said that God told him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul, I'm not going to heal your eyes problem. I'm not going to take that away, because my grace is sufficient for you, and my power will be made known in your weakness. What's that mean? Watch this. There are times when God can do more in our life when we are sick and weak than he can when we're healthy and strong. And those times happen. And when they happen and God hasn't healed and you don't know why he's letting the pale horse do what he does, what do I do about that? I rely on the grace of God. It's because God has a purpose in this and I'm gonna trust it. And when I rely on it and I trust it, you know what happens? I don't find myself blaming him. I don't find myself questioning him. I don't find myself angry at him. I don't find myself, like I talked last week, going backwards away from him. What I find myself is I'm gonna trust you. I may not like it, I don't understand it, but I'm gonna trust you because your grace is sufficient for me. There are people who will hear this message this weekend that you need to hear that because that's what God is doing in your life right now. Let me give you the last one, number seven, get forgiveness. I'm almost done, so engage me here for a second. If you don't, if you don't hear this last one, and, and you just kind of pay attention to the verse six. All you did was come to a health class tonight. That's all you did. Satan's ultimate plan is not for you to get sick and die. That's not his ultimate plan. His ultimate plan is that you end up in Hades. That's his ultimate plan. And the only way to stay out of Hades, the only way not to be in Hades is to be forgiven, that's it. And so how do I do that? I understand that Jesus died on a cross as the punishment of my sins, and I let him know how much I need that forgiveness, that the cross of Jesus is the only hope I have. And Lord, I want that in my life, and I'm baptized as the moment that I turn it all over to him. And the Bible promises me forgiveness, and it keeps me out of Hades. And as soon as you make that commitment to Jesus, as soon as you give him his life, watch this. You're not punching the pale horse anymore. You are defeating the pale horse. And there are people among us who are punching him every day. You're tired of what he's doing. But if you want to defeat him, then you have to embrace Jesus as your savior. And so I would be remiss if I did not say that if there's any voice that hears me right now and you don't know if that's in your life, then as soon as we're done, you find me at the end of this service and say, I need that forgiveness. Because if you don't, the pale horse is gonna take you out. Now, those are the first four seals. All the work of Satan to hurt us. The white, the red, the black, the pale. But I want you to remember something. There are seven seals. 
and the next three belong to God. Let me tell you about the fifth seal. And again, we'll hit that when I'm about 94 over in the corner at the nursing home, okay? The fifth seal is intriguing. It happens in heaven. It's happening right now. The souls of saints who've been forgiven and are not in Hades are around the throne of God. You know some of these people. And the fifth seal says that they are looking at the Father and asking him, don't you think it's time to end this? You know those people. And they are begging for God to intervene. And then the sixth seal is opened. And God comes to the earth in the form of his son. And I just want to read the sixth seal to you. Don't get caught up in literal craziness. Just hear the image. I watched as he opened the sixth seal And there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. And the whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to the earth as late figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. And the sky receded like a scroll rolling up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then the kings of the earth The princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they called out to the mountains and the rocks and said, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Nobody can stand. That's who, nobody. And at the entrance of the sixth seal, Evil is gone and good wins. But until then, until then, until then, we've got some really scary horses in the neighborhood. So let's keep our boxing gloves on. Father, I give anything you want to do in anybody's life to you right now. I open the doors to the influence of your Holy Spirit to touch any mind and any heart in any way that you need to make that happen. And it's not that you need my permission, you just hear my request. And I don't know. I don't know who's in this room. I don't know who's sitting somewhere in a, in a room in California. I, I don't know. You know all that. 
and you know who needs to embrace your son. You know who needs to go to a doctor. You know who needs to fight off the red horse. You know who needs to accept this is right and that's wrong. You know all the battles. May your spirit come alive for anybody who needs to hear it. And I pray it today in the power of the name of Jesus who will end this battle at your call. Amen.